Hi, welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. It's 2016, brand new year, and I've got Mike Kottmeyer here, and we're going to talk about a little bit of retrospective stuff from last year in terms of the Agile space and some things that, that you should probably be paying attention to if you work in this space in the coming year. So, Mike, thanks. First of all, Happy New Year, and second, thanks for taking some time out of your day. Happy New Year, Dave, and uh, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate talking to you as always. Cool. So, Let's let's just start with the agile space in general. Are there okay. things that you are kind of keying in on right now that you think are sort of kind of in the forefront of your mind? These are things I'm trying to pay attention to, things I'm trying to find, things I'm digging in on. Yeah, well well so so for anybody who's been kind of following our conversations over the last couple months, um you know, the thing that that I am most focused on and have been for a while and I'm sure will be for the future is is what are what are the processes and um, I don't know, approaches, mechanisms, whatever, for actually adopting agile in large enterprises? What are the processes of change? Um, you know, I think that for a large part, the the thought leadership within our communities has been focused on really what the end state looks like. What is, what is the process? And so when you look at SAFE or you look at um, large-scale Scrum or you look at Discipline Agile Delivery or Scrum and XP, right, just our Kanban, right? a lot of it is about um, what does it look like when we're done? Maybe Kanban a little well, bit Well, because it's all about outcome, Yeah, right? it's all kind of about the outcome. What does the process look like um, when it's done? But, you know, I mean, it's like we've been doing this at Leading Agile for six years, and I was doing it a couple years before that for version one and a couple years before that in companies. And and to me, it's like the end state is interesting, but the transition patterns and helping people move through those transition patterns are, are to me, what is what is the big thing. Because, you know, at this point, um, you know, I don't know that there's a whole lot left to say about Agile. I mean, I think we kind of get it. Um, I mean, clearly team level Scrum is well understood and documented out the wazoo. Um, you know, you know, Dean's got the, the safe stuff and Craig Larman and those guys have the, the large scale Scrum stuff. We, we kind of get what it looks like at this point. It's well understood. Um, the question is, is why are people struggling with it? I mean, there's still a lot of poorly implemented Agile out there. There's you, still a lot of people that can't figure out how to take the first step. Do you think that, I mean, you say that we that it's understood and I'd say on a theory level and in certain companies, absolutely. But it's the tail end. I mean, the, the biggest part of the curve hasn't gotten here yet. They're the ones that you described that are still struggling. Is it, do you think that we have figured it out or is it now we figured well, it out for the leaders, but now everybody else, we got to figure out how to feed it to the rest of the world. Well, well, so I think what you're saying is the same thing I'm saying, but from a different angle. Um, yeah, I, I do think we have it figured out. I think we, we understand um, several viable, scaled, agile-type frameworks. If you if you get up underneath all of those frameworks, safe, less, dad, I mean, they're, they're all built around the same kind of fundament, fundamental principles, um, you know, scrum and collaborative stuff and lean value stream analysis and all those kinds of things, right? All that stuff is kind of there. Decoupling dependencies, creating modular organizations, right? I mean, we, we get it. But what the challenge is, is that these, these laggards, I hate to use that word, but, um, you know, late adopters, maybe that's a better way of saying it. The late adopters, they're kind of looking at some of this stuff and going, how in the world am I going to be able to do that given the constraints that are in my organization? Yeah. I mean, I get that in class all the time. People are like, this, yeah. this doesn't work. This is just theory. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not theory. Um, what they're, what they're, what they're really saying when 
they ask you that question is they're saying, how can I get the benefits of doing this without making any of the fundamental changes necessary to make it work? Right. Okay. They're saying, so you're telling me if I do daily stand-up meetings and reviews and retrospectives and sprint planning and all this kind of stuff, then, then I'm going to be good. Right. And, but they're sitting there looking at it and going, well, there's no way that those things are going to fix the problems that I have because they've got governance problems and they've got legacy architecture problems and they don't have enough test automation and they've got crushing dependencies across the enterprise and command and control leadership and, you know, on and on and on and on and on. So, so they're rightly questioning, how is this going to work for me? And, and so that again, isn't a problem about agile, right? I mean, agile and these scaled agile approaches, they, they, they absolutely do work. The, the fundamental problem is creating the context in the organization in which those methods can be effective because those methods aren't going to be effective if you don't fix the broken stuff that will cause them to be ineffective. So, so just to kind of dumb it down, if you don't take care of the soil, nothing's going to grow no matter what you do to it. Well, yeah. It's so, you know, there was this, there's this notion in, in Kanban of evolutionary change. And there's this notion in Scrum of saying that, you know, Scrum's going to show you your impediments and then it's up to you to fix them. But I, I think it's, um, it's, it can be a little disingenuous because we know that if you can't do complete cross-functional teams, that that Scrum's going to struggle. We know that if you can't produce a product backlog, Scrum's going to struggle. We know that if you can't produce a working tested increment on some regular interval, Scrum's going to struggle. And so we can start doing Scrum and let Scrum show that to us. But if there's no organizational will to fix those things, then Scrum's not going to to solve it. And, and they're not going to go, oh, well, Scrum's showing you this dysfunction. Let's go fix it. They're going to say, well, Scrum's showing us this function. Scrum must be broken. So therefore, Scrum doesn't work. But yeah, I think the so, assumption yeah. people think if, if I show you the problem, you're going to say, oh, yeah, let's do that. Let's do something yeah. about that. But most of the people yeah. look at it and go, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'm still making money. I'm still feeding my family. So who cares? Yeah. So, so generally what, what we do is we've been, we've been very selective kind of in our sales process and how we, um, and how we structure things. And we put a ton of time and energy into talking to folks before they engage with us to say, look, um, you know, here's, here's agile, here's kind of how it works. And this is how team-based scrum works. And this is how lean Kanban works. And this is how all these different things work. And this is how safe works and less works and dad works and all these different things. And then we say, but most organizations have these impediments um, to doing these kinds of things. And if you leave these impediments in place, then, then Scrum and all these methods are going to fail. So you kind of need to be committed to resolving some of the issues and implementing some of these patterns before you start. I think what we're seeing a lot is that there's a lot of people that buy into the promise of Agile. They want the benefits of Agile. They start doing the Agile things. But then when they're faced with fixing the stuff that Agile demands us to fix, they are not able to get the organizational support to do that. So part of one of the things I think that comes into my mind when I think about stuff like safe and and less and dad is I really like that they are they're the beginning of the answer to how do we deal with this stuff at the enterprise. And, mm -hmm. and they've done it like Dean's done an amazing job with the diagram and explaining all that stuff and, and, and visualizing it for people so they can see the promise of it. But mm -hmm. there is a lot of complexity there. And like you, like you mentioned, when you actually put this stuff into play, a lot of other things get gummed up that maybe those systems or those processes aren't really addressing. Like 
how do we cope with the change and the cultural change and the value system change and all the other stuff? Um, it seems to me almost like they're the, they're the, the first part of an answer that hasn't been finished yet. Well, yeah. So, so using, using safe as an example, I mean, this is, this is an oversimplification, but you know, one of the things I think that safe relies on is it relies on that you can have a team that encapsulates a value stream and that value stream is what, a hundred, 150 people, something like that. But what about when the safe team has external dependencies? How do you coordinate and manage those? Um, what if those external dependencies have five or six other safe organizations that are dependent upon them. I mean, it's just like what I, I think that there's a challenge going on in the industry. It's like, it's like, I think that folks just can't get their head around that level of complexity in organizations. And so because the system doesn't make sense to them, because the system is too complex, they just, they just say, fine, I'm going to just going to influence what I can influence and try to do my job the best I can do. And they, they end up locally optimizing on whatever their job function is. Um, the systems in a lot of these large organizations are fundamentally broken. And and at the end of the day, we, we have to get, we have to simplify the systems. We have to refactor these organizational architectures. Um, you know, the thing that, you know, we've talked about this probably on every podcast that we've done together, Dave, but it's like, I talk about teams, backlogs and working tests and software. It's just a very, just an extreme simplifying pattern. Um, I think the whole notion of self-organization and scrum isn't about getting 600 people to try to self-organize into some coherent whole, but to have people that can self-organize within a unit of six to eight people that are focused on a business problem that can be solved by six to eight people. And then there's process flows and system elements that happen, um, you know, outside of that, of that smaller context. Um, but you know, again, if People just, I just think by nature, I mean, we have families, we have kids, we've got bills, we've got all these different things. We have a complexities in our personal lives. And, you know, there's a, a small subset of folks that I think that want to come in and tackle large organizational issues. I think just so many people just kind of want to show up and they want their job to make sense. They want to be aligned to value. They, they want to, they want to be able to operate within a rational system and I think a big part of the challenge in large organizations is that the systems just aren't rational. So people well, locally optimize. So do you think, I would say there's probably a fatigue that comes from change as well as yeah. they're evolving, but do you think that that is something that you just mentioned a bunch of things that all kind of point to a lack of stabilization for the average worker, like stuff's evolving, stuff's changing. We're seeing things I'm constantly having to adapt. Um, well, you, well, yeah, organizations are thrashing around a lot. Um, it's like they don't have an operational model um, that fundamentally works. And so Waterfall is, was kind of the, you know, the, the operational model du jour. And it, and it kind of, you know, kind of works for folks because there's a ton of time to kind of figure out the requirements. And so you can kind of say, well, I'm figuring out requirements now. And then, you know, I'm doing technical architecture. And somebody else has that. And then somebody else is building it, right? And it, there's this facade of that it's that it's very systematic. But it's slow, right? And the, the speed speed of the game and in industry is changing so fast and and it's just it's just hard to to get people to show up and to align to that and so it's like where does where does this agile stuff go in in 2016 2017 and beyond and um i just think a big part of it has to be it's like how do we impact the systems of delivery in these large organizations so to I, i'm gonna try to I'm going to just say this stuff and see what happens. So I guess yeah, sure. when I think about Agile, 
it, mm-hmm. it seems to me like it's been maturing a bit. Like when it, you know, when it first kind of came together, it was like this awesome, amazing, new, insightful thing. Like light shined into the room and a brand new way of working and people found, found the way, right? And mm-hmm. now, and it started to get to the point where it was like, oh, and look at these deeper things that we can do. And we can really, oh my, you know, it's, it's like a kid. Like you're, you have an infant, oh, it's such a pretty child. And then, oh my gosh, the smartest five-year-old in their class. And now it's like Agile's like, a 12 year old that you're looking at him like, yeah, you're kind of dumpy and weird. Like <laughs> when's the next thing going to happen? Like, yeah. it, like yeah. I feel like there's going to be a leap, but we we're in that awkward stage. Like <laughs> agile's got acne and we don't know what to do with it now. Um, gosh, man. Yeah. Dave, we could tie. It's like, you can just like <laughs> fork this in like nine different directions. So we'll just, we'll just kind of see where it goes. Um, you know, I, I think that there's the, the metaphor I've used, and I don't know if we've talked about this before, but it's almost like I look at agile a little bit of like like punk music. OK, so think about like to the early days of punk. You know, you have what the Sex Pistols. We're or, wandering in a very dangerous. Well, no, yeah, just, yeah, just just bear with me here. Bear with me here. Right. And it's edgy and it's newer. Think about like the early days of rock and roll. Right. Yeah. And then at some point in time, somebody realizes there's a market for it and it becomes homogenized and commoditized and it becomes corporate and it becomes scaled. And then, you know, you end up with Blink-182 and Green Day, right? Oh, fine, You band. just skipped you know, right over New Wave completely. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just like there's just this – there's this – yeah, so whatever it is, right? However you want to take it. I mean, you could use sure. – I've used the, the analogy using like – you know, I live in Georgia, right? So there's you – know, you could use country. You know, there's this kind of raw, edgy country. And then there's the, you know, Martina McBride kind of country. Not picking on her. She's a fine artist too. But, um, you know, there's just this kind of – this corporate kind of homogenized, right? I mean, if you right. read anything about Nashville, it's a, it's a music factor. Right. I mean, and that's what they do. And so and I think to some degree what we're seeing is, is attention because as as Agile's grown up and it's become more mainstream, it's being adopted by um, corporate entities and they need a they need a different packaging and a different flavor. And to some degree, it, it's kind of lost its edge. And so um, our 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 communities a little bit. Um, to use a Dennis Stevens word, bifurcated, and we've got we've got kind of the corporate homogenized kinds of flavors of Agile, um, you know, maybe around safe and or, you know maybe less in disciplined Agile delivery, and then you've got a, a a subculture within the Agile community that's like really focused on like no estimates and complexity and you know hyper self organization and you know using you know open space to kind of manage you know software organization and you know things that I think are are kind of extreme and so um, and so I, I think that there's a, there's a bit of an identity crisis um, going on right now and you know, again, I think the the truth is the truth is is always going to be in the middle of some. It's like we can't homogenize agile to the point where it it loses its soul, right? And it just becomes the latest, you know, the six sigma or whatever, you know, um, you know, thing that you know becomes rejected because so many people do it poorly. Um, but at the same time, it can't be total anarchy either, and it can't be, um, you know, we can't, you know, just have people. Um, I don't know, right? Can't have but, a revolt within companies. But my. somewhere there's some group of people in their garage started some new kind of punk band that's going to be the new thing. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I mean, at the end of the day, okay, so let's see how far we can extend this, these metaphors, Dave. Um, you know, so at the end of the day, though, music's music. And, you know, up underneath 
whether it be new punk, old punk, new wave, whatever, right? There's melodies that resonate with people and there's chord structures and there's phrasing and there's, there's just certain things that to a, to a large extent are, are relatively universal. You know, a lot of, you know, as you look at different types of rock and roll and even jazz and country, I mean, the, the structures are fundamentally the same. So, so what, what I think will happen over time, and I don't know, how, I don't know if it's a three to five year thing or if it's an eight to 12 year thing or what, but at some point in time, people will do agile so poorly for so long that, that folks will decide that agile doesn't work and somebody will come up with the new thing and it will, yeah, okay, sure. Right. So I don't know how far we are away from that, but that will inevitably happen. But I don't think that that means that the fundamental patterns that resonate with people are going to change. I mean, I don't think collaboration is going to go away. I don't think, um, organizing around small teams is going to go away. I don't or empowering think, people to be creative and make yeah, you know, self-determining decisions, yeah, getting clarity around backlogs and doing roadmaps. And and I don't think all that stuff is going to change. It might emerge or evolve into something else, but I suspect that all the fundamental patterns will still be there, even if we're not using the same words to describe them. How do we get back to three chords and a bunch of guys, four instruments, just cranking it out, making fast stuff do really well? Do we have to go to this super level of complexity to get anything done or is there a way to keep it simple? Well, so let's talk, let's, so we'll, we'll, let's tie back to the last podcast that we did together when we talked a little bit about bimodal. Yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting about what Gardner is saying about bimodal is that I think Gardner's given up on the idea that some of these companies are going to change to being agile and that there will be parts of certain legacy organizations that are just going to be in kind of ops mode for a while. Yeah. Um, and you know, the challenge though, is those, once you, once you acknowledge that, then you can't expect the same level of agility and the same level of turnaround time, um, for those particular parts of the organization. So the, the challenges is, is acknowledging, um, what you can expect out of that system of delivery. And so, you know, again, like a lot of times, you know, you look at it, large or older organizations that have been had IT shops and have built and building software for 30 or 40 years, maybe legacy mainframe stuff, right? There's, there's a certain amount of that that probably is never going to be able to do continuous deployment, or it's never going to be able to put changes into production quite so fast. And so, you know, this whole thing with mode one, mode two is saying, let's acknowledge the parts that are need to be stable and secure and all those things. And then what are the parts of the enterprise that need to be fast and adaptive? And what are the rules of engagement between the two? And what can you expect from one versus the other? And, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, but then I think what you'll start to see over time is that as newer companies, you know, companies that are small today that might be really large in 10 or 15 years, um, or gosh, even companies that are already doing it, like, you know, Facebook, Amazon, you know, some of that where we're just, they just kind of got built from scratch being agile and they, they got built from scratch with great organizational architectures or, or maybe they, they caught it early enough and, and refactored, you know, to where, you know, they, once they hit a failure mode, they, they fixed it pretty early on. Um, I, th- I think those companies exist. I think they, they clearly exist. Um, that, yeah, goes, that mean, takes they, they me back to something to somebody yeah. said in another podcast where yeah. we were talking about how are we going to get past having to teach people that like multitasking is bad and that you shouldn't treat people like cogs in a machine. And, and I can't remember who it was, but they said that it was going to take an entire generation 
Yeah. To boil yeah, that to, to where everybody in the workforce has started at a company like Facebook or Google, where there was this, this thing already in place in the culture and not have to be taught. Yes, we've done banking this way for 200 years, but now we're going to change it and everyone's going to do whatever's awesome. Yeah. Well, so, so there's kind of an interesting, there's kind of an interesting, um, gosh, I don't know if I want to take us down this path, Dave, but it's like, you don't it's, have to. It's, it's not as much about, I don't think it's as much about treating people like cogs or, or being command and control. I, I think it's more about, um, it's more about how the organizations are built. Um, you know, it's, you know, we talk a lot internally about when we organize teams, we look at patterns for how to do that. We organize around business capabilities or, or common services or, or features and things like that. There's patterns for organizing companies that if you do them from the beginning, um, will create the kind of necessary environmental factors yeah. to be able to empower people. But, but so, if you've got one of those legacy ones... They well, yeah, can intellectually but, agree with everything you just said, but when the panic comes in, they're going to switch back to. Well, well, they are, but but here's the thing: is that is that in the legacy organizations, though, to some degree, I, I don't want to say they have to, but to some degree, it's an inevitability. And the reason why it's an inevitability is because think about it: there's a system, there's a large, complex, poorly architected system that no one individual agent in that system knows how to influence. Okay. Okay. And so, so what tends to happen is that the person or two or three that believes they understand how the system impacts, they basically, they devise the solution, they parcel out the work and then they assign that work to people and they hold them accountable and they do all those things that, that we generally consider bad behavior. The challenge is, is you go, what's the alternative? You know, what's the alternative for them is we say, okay, well, we want to we want to let people self organize. Well, maybe you know maybe, but there's like real stuff that's in their way, right? How do you get them out of that sticky glue that's preventing them from moving at times? And so that goes back yeah. to this whole thing about change. And I, I mean, I'm sort of feeling like the next major area of focus is going to have to go beyond just referring to the satire change curve or change model and, and, and digging in deeper on how do we actually socially engineer change inside an organization and get people to let go of everything we've taught them to do for the past 50 years. Yeah. So, so, so a lot of times in the agile community, I think that we are guilty of, um, God, it's funny or to touch on a lot of blog posts I wrote, um, had a, uh, uh, conversation with Erez from agile sparks uh, a couple of weeks ago. And he was talking about the, um, the idea of the CSM, um, course, not so much teaching people how to do agile, but teaching people to love the sea, right? Have you ever heard that expression? It's like, don't teach a man to build a ship, teach him to long for the, the immensity of the sea or something like that. Huh. And so I think what we've done is we've, we've, we've taught a lot of people to long for the immensity of the sea, but we haven't built a lot of children. <laughs> taught them how to right? swim. It's yeah. time, right? You can't just get excited and go, oh, okay, I'm going to get in my little canoe and try to cross the Atlantic, right? I yeah. mean, there's, there's, there's stuff. So it's like, so I think there's this belief a lot of times that if we just teach people to love the sea, they'll just rush off and start building boats. Right. And, um, and what I would suggest is that there's just a lot of 
complexity in some of these organizations that we're dealing with that they'll they'll just hit a wall. Um, the other or they'll con- keep stumbling through the same problems that have already been solved by so many other people who stumbled yeah, through them already. Yeah, so so I think the specifics of of change isn't. I mean, part of it is getting through individual resistance, and part of it is is being able to teach people to love the sea. But another part of it is okay. I, so I've taught you to love the sea. Now let's let's walk through and let's talk about how to build a boat. And let's talk about the people that need to be on the boat to sail it appropriately. And let's talk about the things that you need to to put on that boat to where you can get over there alive without dying of scurvy or what have you. Um, you know, there's there's stuff that has to happen. You know, and and I don't think a lot of people understand necessarily how to do that. And so our Again, our, our notion of change and change resistance has been about belief and culture and trying to change attitudes. And what we generally believe is we believe, okay, let's teach them how to build a ship. Let's teach them how to stock the ship. Let's teach them how to, to do this. Now, they, they love the sea, right? We've got them to love the sea. But now it's a matter of enabling them to sail the sea safely. And I almost feel like you've skipped this step. Like first teach them to love the sea, then teach them the sea will kill you. And then teach them how to protect themselves from that by learning how to build a ship. You know, I'll tell you, you know, we, we do a lot of executive presentations and, and we saw a lot of work out of the C-level um, suite. And, you know, generally I walk in, I go, look, I go, here's, here's what the, you, you want to do agile, right? Here's what you've been told by the community. And let me tell you why I think that doesn't necessarily work. And then let me tell you what I do think works. And I go, boom, 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 right? Walk through. This is how you build and form teams. This is how you start to to sort through backlogs and decision-making and economic trade-offs. And this is what you need to measure. And this is what you need to do this. And here's going to be the organizational barriers, um, you know, from people perspective and from a culture perspective and from a technology and architecture perspective. And this is what's going to happen. We want to be able to help people through the process and help people understand what are the things. And, and this isn't like just get started and you'll figure it out as you go. I mean, you can, you can anticipate 80 to 90% of the stuff that is going to get in your way before you start. If you're willing to acknowledge that you don't know everything. Absolutely, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, yeah. man. Appreciate you're it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Man. All right. So we'll do a bunch more of these, but happy new year. Okay. Happy new year to you, Dave. Thanks. Bye. Bye.